Good evening and welcome to the show. Well, as insouciant French diners say, whenever rioting breaks out between the duck l'orange main course and the creme brulee dessert, plus ça change, plus c'est la même chose. Which roughly translates to, the more things change, the more we go insane. And that is exactly what the woke want us to do, which is why they are obsessed with changing everything. Take history, for example. For decades, our schools have been teaching our kids that Australia was not founded on the revolutionary enlightenment principles of equality before the law, which enabled us to evolve into a free, prosperous nation, and instead is a culturally genocidal society of racists living on stolen land. As a result, the lingering inequality between blacks and whites in Australia is now being blamed on the fiction of a brutal colonial past and not what is really the cause, which is Aborigines being paid to sit around dysfunctional communities in the outback. This fictional interpretation of our history is so pervasive that we are now seriously debating an amendment to our constitution to give indigenous people more rights than the rest of us, which will create two classes of citizens in this country. Australia was founded at the moment in history when slavery was being abolished. We are proudly egalitarian and very dismissive of social class. We were among the first nations in the world to protest against apartheid in South Africa. And yet here we are on the cusp of creating a legally binding apartheid of our own. This is the insanity that happens when you break away from your own past. But you don't need to study school curricula or the track record of Australian constitutional amendments to notice that Western liber liberal history is being erased everywhere. You just need to look at recent pictures of the Met Gala party in New York. Here are Sarah Larson, actors George Clooney and Julia Roberts, and fashion designer Giorgio Armani at the Met Gala in 2008 exuding the elegance and sophistication of one of New York's most exclusive annual events. And here is some bloke called Lil Nas at this year's event yesterday. I'm aware that some of you are eating your dinner, so I've spared you the frontal view. The Met Gala hasn't gone down market. Well, not relatively anyway. It is still the hottest ticket in town. It's just that the elites of New York, like everywhere, are a bunch of crass narcissists who think elegance is for boring old squares. These are the people who are steering popular culture in a new, less sane direction. They are patiently waiting for their dessert while the place burns down around them. All Australians were expected to be as insouciant during the COVID pandemic, when our leaders were appearing on television every night trying to scare the pants off us with frightening statistics and assurances 
that they had a killer virus, virus under control. Uh, first things first, there are 1,438 uh, new cases notified yesterday, all locally acquired. That brings us to a total of 11,018 active cases across Victoria. Um, this is more than a 50% increase on yesterday's daily numbers, and I'm sure that'll be a great concern to all Victorians. We've been very clear these numbers would go up. They go up faster, of course, if people don't follow the rules. Overnight, uh, we recorded 7,075 new cases. That means in total we have 38,742 total active cases in Western Australia. We now have 180 people in our hospitals across Western Australia, six people in intensive care. Uh, one woman uh, in her 80s passed away on Sunday, uh, but this was only reported by West Australian Police yesterday, sadly, uh, so it's uh, reported in today's numbers. So. Uh, we have 49 active cases. We've done over 14,900 tests. So once again, if you're sick, stay at home and go get a test. So that's imperative and 15,631 vaccines were delivered by Queensland Health yesterday. But suddenly all that command over the, over the statistics and concern for your well-being has disappeared. Here is Queensland LNP Senator Jared Rennick in a Senate committee hearing in November asking the Bureau of Statistics if it is possible to connect vaccinations with the deaths of Australians over the past two years. Or, to put it another way, whether it is possible to calculate the increased likelihood of a per person's death by how recently they'd had the vaccine shot. Um, is it possible that you can track those deaths by vaccination status, number one, and then track between the time of death and the time of vaccination? That question was asked of representatives of, of, from the Australian Bureau of Statistics and they took the question on notice. Well, it's six months later, has Senator Rennick received a reply? Let's get him on and ask him. Senator Jared Rennick, welcome to the show. Thanks, Fred. Good to be here. Firstly, Senator, did you ever get a reply from the Australian Bureau of Statistics about the correlation between deaths and vaccinations? Uh, look, I've got to be honest, I've been on the road for two weeks and some answers have come in for my questions on notice, but as, that, but as of two weeks ago, no. Right. Um, I haven't got an answer on the correlation between the date of death and the date of vaccination. Well, this and was raised... You raised that in a committee back in, I think, November. Was that right? That's right. I raised it with both the uh, Health Department and the Australian Bureau of Statistics. Well, if I'm not mistaken, those figures could be extremely informative about uh, the relationship between vaccines and possible fatal consequences. Do you agree that there, there could be a lot of information in these statistics? And if they're if they're not being forthcoming, what's what's the story? I agree. There could be a lot of information there. And if you think about how readily the governments uh, across Australia were prepared to deliver COVID cases and COVID deaths on a daily basis by numerous press conferences from each state, uh, you'd think that they would be able to provide the same amount of information in regards to deaths, uh, you know, you know, reported vaccine deaths as well as deaths in general. 
Yeah, well, I mean, they were, as you say, they were extremely diligent, giving us the frightening statistics on a daily basis throughout the so-called pandemic. But now- Not just, and by the way, uh, Fred, not just the statistics, but also the statistics about COVID being in the sewerage. Don't forget that. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Well, it looks like the statistics are in the sewerage now because there's no, you can't get them anywhere. You can't get anyone to help you. That's, that's exactly right. And we should also point out that the virus was going to hunt down the vaccinated. Are you scared yet, Fred? <laughs> no, petrified, petrified. Now, yeah. you've, you've, um, you've just emerged from a committee meeting and have very generously given us a bit of your time on a busy day. You're in Canberra this week for a, a meeting regarding the COVID-19 vaccination status amendment to the Fair Work Act. Can you explain what the committee's looking at? Yeah, so what it is, it's actually an inquiry uh, and the amendment was uh, moved by my Senate colleague, Senator Matt Canavan, uh, and basically that was going to insert into the Fair Work Act that employees could not be discriminated against based on their COVID-19 vaccination status. So what we're doing is uh, we don't have the numbers for that. So if you do move a private member's bill, you can get that referred off to an inquiry, which is what we've got up this afternoon. We did invite a number of blue chip companies along with Pfizer and Moderna and also the Department of Health and all of those uh, organisations have declined, unfortunately. Uh, and I think it's particularly disappointing that Moderna and Pfizer declined given the billions of dollars that were paid to them by the federal government and i.e. the taxpayer uh, for these vaccines. And I think that they should have appeared uh, and explained why their vaccines weren't as safe and effective as what they claimed they, claimed they were. And the context of the uh, the meeting is that you are looking for whether or not people should have been discriminated against on their vaccination status. Is that it? Well, we would uh, address a range of issues. One would be obviously the quality assurance undertaken by the um, pharmaceutical companies themselves before they rolled out the vaccine. Uh, we would have also asked the government uh, why they didn't uh, press these pharmaceutical companies for greater quality assurance and why they indemnified them from the risks of the vaccine. Uh, we would have also liked to ask the employers why uh, they're still imposing vaccine mandates when they don't stop transmission, they don't stop infection. Uh, there is still a claim going around that they'll reduce sickness and illness, but the reality is for healthy people of working age population, uh, very few get seriously ill from COVID-19 in the first place. So why are we exposing the entire population to vaccine risk uh, when there is such a small risk of actually getting seriously ill from COVID-19 in the first place? So why do you think Pfizer and Moderna didn't turn up? Well, they've already banked the money, you know, banked the money, haven't they? I mean, you know, they, they're not interested in the good, uh, the goodwill of the, sorry, the, the well-being of the Australian people. Uh, they're interested in making money and they've made their money. Uh, and quite frankly, I don't think they'd want to have to explain why the vaccines weren't safe and effective. Can they be compelled to attend a, a, a meeting like this? That's a good question. I'm actually not sure of the. Uh, I'm not sure if you can compel them to be honest with you on an inquiry of this particular nature. What about the Department of Health? Did you say the Department of Health itself has not turned up? Yeah, I've got to get to the bottom of that. I thought they were coming and there's been, we only just got the agenda uh, yesterday around lunchtime. So I thought more organisations were coming, but I'm not surprised that this particular result has happened in the sense that, 
you know, like all the bureaucracy and like all big organisations today, they don't seem to want to be transparent and accountable. No, well, you're doing a good job holding them to account, but I know it's a tough job. There was a story going around about a month ago of a woman who worked for, if I'm not mistaken, Jetstar, who was sacked uh, on the basis of vaccine discrimination, and it was taken to the Fair Work Commission, and her case was dismissed. Uh, Are you trying to shed more light on cases like that? Oh, absolutely. Uh, And, you know, there was a Cooper's Brewery case where the Fair Work Commissioner Coleman said that he wasn't going to question the advice from Atagi because they were the experts. Well, I mean, the Fair Work Commission is meant to be independent from the government. They're meant to be an independent body, and yet they were going to take the government's expert at their word uh, and not the experts from the from the sacked employees. And I have got a real problem with fair, the Fair Work Commission. In my view, they are not upholding the laws of the land. They're not upholding the, uh, the Charter of the Immunisation Register, which says people can't be coerced into getting a vaccine. They're not upholding uh, employment contracts. There was nothing in the employment contract that said people had to take a jab that was only provisionally approved and didn't go through all of that. You know, it didn't go through thorough safety testing. So there was a change in the terms and conditions of the contract there. Uh, and we know just last year with Peter Reid in the High Court, even though the High Court ruled that what Peter Reid said was not wrong because he wasn't allowed to speak out about his particular employment circumstances, that's why they upheld the JCU dismissal. Well, if that's the case, and they ruled on that because they said the employment contract was king. Well, in my case, then, if in my view, if the employment uh, contract is king. Why isn't Fair Work Commissioners, why aren't the Fair Work Commissioners upholding the employment contract? And there is nothing in the employment contract that forced employees to get a, vac- a vaccine that hadn't been adequate, adequately tested. Uh, and subsequently, by the way, the Chief Health Officer has said, you know, the Federal Chief Health Officer said numerous times throughout the rollout that he doesn't support uh, vaccine mandates. And yet state governments and employees are doing just that. They are mandating the vaccine against the advice of the federal chief health officer. It's almost as if all these bodies are predisposed to discriminate, not against the unvaccinated, but just against ordinary people. Anyway, the, let's move from, uh, from these government bodies to the, to the law, because the media has been reluctant to report the class action lawsuit that was filed in the federal court last week, which I'm sure you know... Uh, uh, plenty about it was uh, filed by a doctor from your state, Queensland, Melissa McCann. There are about 500 people associated with the lawsuit, but the number of claimants could total thousands or tens of thousands. Now, this is uh, a lawsuit against the uh, Therapeutic Goods Administration on behalf of people who claim to have been uh, injured or have had relatives killed by the vaccines. Now, firstly, Jared, why is the media not interested in this story? It's huge. Well, the media hasn't been interested in vaccine injuries from the get-go. I mean, I was one of the first, actually, I was probably the first uh, politician to speak out about vaccine injuries. Uh, I was very quickly ridiculed by large sections of the press who claimed that these injuries hadn't been verified uh, and that I was an anti-vaxxer. I contacted many of these journalists and I said, well, look, you're welcome. I will pass you on the contact details of the vaccine injured and you can verify these injuries yourself if you don't want to believe me. Uh, And, of course, needless to say, these journalists wouldn't follow up with any of the vaccine injured. Uh, Eventually, I think there's been a grudging acceptance by the media that there has been, uh, you know, injuries from the vaccine, but they still yet claim that, you know, the the benefits outweigh the risks, which I completely disagree with, uh, especially for people 
who are healthy and under 60 and, and even over 60 if they're healthy. Uh, and, and obviously they, they don't want to do that because they got it wrong. Yeah. And, uh, you know, when they went around and took, you know, the government's money to basically advertise these vaccines as safe and effective. And I think, you know, if if they were to admit they got it wrong, they could be liable uh, for, for injury and, and basically false advertising, false and misleading advertising. Has anyone ever looked into uh, whether or not the government was paying the media companies to back the government's line? Well, well, they weren't being paid to back the government's line, but they were being paid to advertise the vaccine. There's no secret about that. They were paid millions and millions of dollars. Uh, so, you know, I suppose indirectly, uh, yes, they were paid by the government. Um, and, and they knew that, I guess, if they spoke out about the vaccines, you know, there was always the risk that, uh, you know, the government would therefore stop, um, you know, employing them to advertise the vaccines. Exactly. So, yeah, they were certainly motivated by money over um, the health of the people, that's for sure. Now, with this lawsuit, if it does turn out that there are thousands or even tens of thousands of claimants uh, of people who are seriously injured or have had relatives die, if that happens, is there any concern in the government that this could be uh, a significant blow to the government's budget? Uh, well, look, I couldn't answer that honestly, Fred, because I'm not in the government of the day. I'm, I'm obviously um, from the coalition and not Labor. Uh, I, I have no doubt that even if the class action was to win and the judge was to rule in favour of the, the vaccine injured, I, uh, yeah, I, I, I believe it when I see it, when the government actually owns up to its responsibility and starts taking these vaccine in injuries seriously. And by seriously, I mean offer an apology, offer mental support as well as financial support and medical support to the victims of, of the vaccines. Do you think there'll ever be a Royal Commission, Jared? I don't know, Fred. Um, you know, there has been no talk of it whatsoever from the Labor side. Uh, I think we may have discussed this before. I'm, I'd be sceptical even if there was a Royal Commission that the terms of reference would be set up properly. I think Labor would design the terms of reference to look at it from the point of view that the vaccines weren't rolled out quickly enough, there wasn't enough done to keep people safe initially, rather than actually address the underlying issue of the vaccines. Um, and the constant fear-mongering by state premiers and overreach by them in terms of locking people down, locking people out of, uh, you know, their home states, even when they didn't have COVID, you know, the unnecessary money wasted on quarantine centres like World Camp up in Toowoomba, you know, I think the, the Queensland government wasted $300 million on, on a uh, quarantine facility there. And if I'm not mistaken, I think a few other states did the same. You know, so possibly up to a billion dollars just there on quarantine facilities that were rarely used. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if there'd be a Royal Commission, number one. And number two, if there was, I'd be sceptical that, you know, they addressed the, the proper issues, which obviously, you know, in regards to the safety of the vaccines, the government overreach, and whether or not, um, you know, governments acted appropriately and didn't violate human rights in taking the measures that they did. It sounds like the government is just hoping that, that you know, now that life has returned to relative normality, that it's hoping the people of Australia will just think, oh, well, let's just move on and forget about it. Do you think that's a strategy that will work? Uh, I, I think you're right. I think that's exactly what they're hoping they will do. And, I, and I, unfortunately... I think that will be a strategy uh, that will work. I mean, time, yeah, people just move on. I mean, now a lot of the uh, issues of the day are around the voice and the transgender movement. 
um, you know, and, and Labor would like that because they want to take their mind off the economy and the cost of living. Uh, so, you know, we're, we're up against it. I mean, I, I keep banging the drum and I know a few of my colleagues keep banging the drum about vaccine injuries and I will continue to do that while I'm a member of Parliament because, you know, people uh, had their human rights violated. Yeah, and uh, people, are, and, and um, people and, are still suffering. And people are still suffering. That's exactly right. Yeah. Now, uh, and while they're still suffering, I'll keep fighting. Oh, well, good on you. Good on you, Senator. Uh, you mentioned the voice and transgender, but just, just to finish off on a different topic, just for a change, the coronation of the wokest king in British history is going to happen this weekend. Now, I, don't, I don't know whether this is a good thing for the republic or the monarchy because, you know, most Republicans are pretty left of centre and uh, would agree on King Charles on most things, especially when it comes to climate change. Do you think the coronation will be a good thing or a bad thing for the Republican movement in Australia? I don't know, Fred. I, I don't have much an opinion on, um, on it either way. Uh, yeah, I, I'm certainly not in favour of Republic, uh, not because I necessarily think I need a foreign king or anything like that. I, don't, I think that's a bit of an anachronism as well, but... My, my, I guess my opinion is if it's not broken, then don't fix it. And uh, any any step forward in the Republican movement, especially under an Albanese government, uh, I, I just don't think would be good for the country, uh, period. Yeah, well, you look around the country and there's a lot of things that are broken. And thanks to senators like you, there are people trying to fix them. Senator Jared Rennick, thanks for your time. Thanks very much, Fred. Have a great day. Well, that's all from me tonight. Thanks for watching. Alan Jones is up next at eight o'clock. And you might have noticed on our website and our app, the legendary Mark Stein, the Canadian commentator, has joined ADH. Check out our website for his show, which started today and will be dropping four times a week from now on. If you want to follow us on Twitter, you can find me at, at Fred Paul, that's F-R-E-D-P-A-W-L-E, or follow ADH on at ADHTVAUS. And if you've been enjoying our shows, been enjoying our shows hosted by Damien Curry, Alexandra Marshall, Daisy Cousins, David Flint, Nick Cater, Lyle Shelton, and Alan Jones, tell your friends, or better still, tell them to download the ADH app to their phone or TV, and they can watch it all live or on demand. ADH is the new home for common sense commentary and there is no shortage of things to comment about these days. I'll see you again tomorrow at seven o'clock. Good night.